Though death may seem a thing of dread, it is a natural course we all must tread. Inevitable end, a somber fate. Death arrives with no debate. The pain may be felt by others around, a struggle for all and sadness abound. A diagnosis shared, worst fears become real. An easy way out now has an appeal. No matter where we're from or where we pray, we're all human in every single way. Different ways to speak, different ways to dress, each unique trait we should value and bless. I have put in the hard work, the sweat and tears to acquire the expertise that dispels any fears. My competence and proficiency, I can attest, makes me qualified above the rest. Welcome to Divided We Stand. I am Jimmy J, and that man over there, I normally say something smart alecky, but I'm going to say something nice for him today. Wow. That man over there I would go to war with any day is Joe Aguirre. Good evening, Joseph. I love that. That sounds fantastic. Hopefully, we'll never have to go to war together. Hopefully not, and if we do, I'm going to predict that it is a Red Dawn type of situation. <laughs> That's about right. All right, the Wolverines, here we come. So, Joe, let's get into it right away, shall we? Let's do it. All right, man. This one Senate bill has been uh, on my mind, and I wanted to get your take on it. It's Senate Bill 88, an act concerning AIDS and dying for terminally ill patients. So, uh, Joe, if I had a terminally a, a terminal illness and there was zero chance of recovery and I asked you to kill me, would you? No, no, that's not that's not for me to do. Uh, I'm I, listen. I'm for it. I'm I'm okay with it. I really am. I think you know people talk about their rights and what they have a right to. I think you have a right to a dignified death if that's what you want. If you're, uh, you know, of of sound mind. You, maybe your body's not sound, but your mind is, and you can make that decision. I, I don't see why there's anything wrong with it. Again, you know, Jimmy, I think this is one of those things where you start to cross over with the, the religious element of things. You know, I have been in my notes, my friend. Yeah. I, listen, I, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic, Jimmy, so I get it. And I, I have a hard time sometimes separating the beliefs I had when I was a kid uh to today and for me today i think if if you are terminal and you want to call it a day i don't have any problem with that if i have three years to live what if i'm giving a five-year sentence and i'm like you know what it's going to be a slow decline and my family is going to suffer along with me i want to be out now Yeah, see, it's a little harder, right? So the reason why I wanted to talk about this, Joe, yeah. is because I've literally spent 
nights thinking about it. Like, what would I want? Would I want, you know, my family to go through that suffering and that pain, you know, and me and them seeing my just decline over the years? Do I want them to witness that? Or do I want them to remember me the way I am now? Right? Yeah. So that was one of the questions that I had. And the other question I had, because when I was reading through this bill, right, I, I read through the whole thing, right? That there is a clause in there saying that patients do not need to notify or consult with their family on this. So if my wife was terminally ill, had terminally ill, had five years, and was going to be just a bad decline, right? And we all knew it. I would want her to talk to me about it because I don't know if I would let her. I don't know if I would say, yeah, go ahead. I understand. Because if I can get three out of those five years, if I can get five years, even good or bad, maybe I'd want those five years. I don't know. Well, look, this is one of those things where, you know, I can't speak to your marriage. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can't I can't speak to anybody's marriage as far as, you know, what is your right as the spouse to be involved in, in medical decisions? You would think, Jim, you would think you'd be involved in that. I can't, you know, I don't see you not being involved in, in your wife's decision in that. But ultimately, as far as the doctor's concerned, it is the patient's decision, especially again, as I said, if that person is of sound mind and body, you know, you have to respect their wishes. And again, you know, I think if you take the religious element out of it, it's a lot easier to do. Okay, well, I disagree. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I kind of disagree because right. what about the hypocritic oath? I shall do no harm is the first thing you say, and now you're assisting somebody in killing themselves. You are obligated as a doctor to treat your patient and for your- I knew you were going to say that, and it's not well, correct. You it are above all, above all to preserve life. That is your number one duty as a doctor. Yeah. In the oath. You know what I mean? It's in I, that's, and that's, I understand where you're going with this, but again, you guys are all about freedom for everything all the time. I knew you were going to bring that. And I'm not against it. I'm it's, not poo-pooing this bill. When it's real. Yeah. Look, I, 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 you know, you can write laws we just going to say, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you look, you can write laws and, and you can allow this thing to happen. Uh, you could put in your rules and your regulations. And, you know, I would want to bring doctors in and find out, uh, ethically speaking, what the proper protocols would look like. And you want, again, be give them the dignity that they deserve on their way out, no matter what it is, Jim. Really, I mean, it's... Look, this is a it's a controversial topic, big time controversial topic, obviously, and then this is the reason why. But again, I think if you take the religious element out, the idea that there's some sin involved in this, then you're just you're just again trying to define what is murder or what is manslaughter. You know what I mean? Uh, Look, there's a reason that this and stem cells and, and abortion are so controversial. You're almost, again, this is why I say the religious element, you're playing God. 
That's oh, yeah. and, and and I I hear a lot of people make that argument. Oh, you're playing God, and again, I think that's just adding in that religious element of you're creating a sin and you're not supposed to take away life. Because again, there there is a a certain degree of empathy that the doctor has to have in understanding that, you know, look, if you've been in top again, Jim, let me share. I, right, I I recently had a near death experience. So this is very real to me. Um, you don't want to be a burden on your family. I've been thinking a lot about that sort of stuff, you know, and 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 that's what I was really, saying, Joe. And, and certainly right. being, being healthier. But uh, I don't know, Jim. This one's so tough. It, it it really is. I get it. And and listen, I don't mean to disregard what religious people are saying too about it. I I do understand that, and I certainly uh, I think that that should be taken into account uh so, and that that does weigh on a lot of people's mind jim that's a fair it's a fair argument to make absolutely and not to you know uh stir the pot up anymore i actually uh you stirring the pot no <laughs> i actually went out and i was reading the bible the other night and i was reading some past i was specifically looking for passage talking about suicide all right and the old adage is you don't go to heaven, right? You go to hell. Yeah. Right? And I'm, the more I'm reading this and the more I'm looking and trying to understand it, that's not true, right? Because there's nothing in there saying uh, suicide is a sin. It, what it says is suicide is murder. Murder is a sin. But you can be forgiven of murder as long as you truly repent. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. That's that's some of the nonsense uh, of the religion there. By the way. <laughs> I know that you don't believe it, and I know yeah. you. you I, I, I repent for that murder. We're good, right? Uh, yeah. I'm I'm very uncomfortable with that. I'll I'll be quite honest. And and I'd also like to be clear: if we're going to get technical on definitions, what the Bible says is you should do no murder. It's not thou shalt not kill. Yeah. And so. Uh, this they it was specifically written that way for its vagueness. Thou shalt do no murder because when I'm butchering the enemy, that's not murder. That's me defending myself. So since literally since we've been killing each other since the dawn of time, we came up with exemptions to like sometimes murder's okay, sometimes it's not murder at all. I believe I I. I... You know, I want to look it up again, but I'm pretty sure there's a passage on there, but that if I fought on, because I have fought in a war, and I'm going to classify it as a holy war because, you know, it was us against the Islams. So it was a holy war. The it, Islamic radicals, not all Islam. All right, let me make that clear. Right? So it was a holy war, and I fought on the side of Christianity. Does I pre I'm pretty sure there's a passage in the Bible that says I'm automatically ascended, I automatically going to heaven because of that. Well, so I'm, I feel pretty I'm, good about it. I'm sure that book says that. I <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. You know, listen, it, it's <sighs> Joe. Look at I don't want to get into a deep. I don't want to get into a deep discussion about. I think it's worth right? at least mentioning. But, Look, the Old Testament is is a historical adaptation of the beatings that the Jews suffered. 
in many situations for a couple of thousand years. It was pretty rough. Uh, and, you know, listen, that, there's a lot of things that book says, and there's a lot of things that book doesn't say. You know, I think that's one of the things Frank asked the question, how can you prove you're going to die uh, to go to a good place when you die? Well, there's really no clear definition of heaven anyhow uh, or or what that entails, which is why I said I think you got to take the religious element out of this and you have to talk about this in a secular way. I really think you do. Okay, then how about this, right? The NIH says depression, anxiety, and delirium are common common phenomena associated with terminal ill irreversible illness terminal irreversible illness diagnoses therefore if that is true are you in the right state of mind to make such a decision well i i think you're making this decision based on how you're feeling i think that depression is a result of the hopelessness with a terminal diagnosis right Hold on. So suicide is a feeling of hopelessness. You have no choice, right? It's hopelessness. Suicide is a form of mental illness. Therefore, if the same rules apply, are you of sound mind to make this kind of a decision? Or is this a straight up emotional decision? Because there are cases now, because this is going to open up legal arguments. I promise you, it, I, I can't remember the exact term. You're, maybe you're what your wife would probably know. Con, uh, when they can't give consent for themselves any longer because of their state of mind, Yeah. right? There's going to be legal battle on this. All right. So I had a, a lifelong friend of mine commit suicide Thanksgiving two years ago. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, by all accounts, like this dude lives in Southington, nice job, good kids, pretty wife, uh, made a lot of money. Things were not going well in his personal life. There was uh, another woman. There was a child involved. It, it was he, – he had put himself in a pretty rough spot, uh, and I assume that that's what led him to take his life. As far as him now, I mean, a friend of mine was with him uh, the day before he he killed himself and said, seemed perfectly fine to me. Yeah. I don't think he was battling demons. I think he dug himself a hole that he just didn't see a way out of. And I think that's why he did it. So, I look, I agree with you. I, I think there's, you know, some sort of mental anguish these people are going through and the feeling of hopelessness that leads to it. But I, again, I think that's a, a tough argument to make because, again, uh, by all accounts, this this guy uh, wasn't acting out of the ordinary. It was shocked that when they found him. So, right, uh, yeah, right. again, you but Jim, you could make that argument in any situation with anybody. So my argument with I don't that, know if you're of sound mind, and you know what I'm saying, you could be like, oh, mental, yeah. if it's not a mental break with reality, there should have been signs of gradual lead up. Because it was so sudden and, and so uh, out of the ordinary, there had to have been a mental break with reality. That's what my contention is here. And if so, and if there is a mental break with reality, you are no longer have your faculties to make such a decision, in my opinion. 
Because now you're making a very rational, a very permanent decision on a very emotional basis. I understand what you're saying. Uh, Again, this might be the time where maybe a therapist needs to be consulted in all this. Maybe that should be something that's written into the law, you know? Good news. Just so that you know, there are very many stipulations that you before oh, you have to go through. I didn't even know that. I'm literally just throwing darts here. I had no idea, but that makes sense. Again, so, you know, there are a lot. It's a it's a controversial enough topic that I, I get all the people's concerns and, and it should be taken seriously. And there should be lots of stipulations and, and it should be something that's I think regulated because again, you don't want people abusing this. Um it's it's not unlike the marijuana dispensaries in Connecticut. Did you know you're you're limited? You can have up to an ounce and a half of marijuana. You're only allowed to buy seven grams at a time from a dispensary. Really? Yeah, whatever. Um, it's <laughs> it's a, it's they're trying to regulate, and that's fine. And I think that that there's nothing wrong with a little bit of regulation, even in business. It's not going to hurt anybody. I'll tell you what. I think that's going to that regulation is going to go away when the supply starts getting increased. From what I hear, Joe. From what I hear. Every medical marijuana patient I know has no, they can't find it anymore because all the recreational dispensaries are getting all that freaking product. Oh, well, they should just go there then. It's more expensive. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, of course it is. It's, ta- it's taxed a lot more because it's not a medical, uh, uh, it's not a medicinal mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, it's taxed a lot more. Hey, by the way, Joe, uh, we need to take a short break. So why don't we stick around? We're going to take a short break. Coming back on the other side, I'm sure Joe will have something for us. Stick around. Apps can do a lot of cool things. You could order dinner, gamble on your favorite team, and track your health. You could even get a mortgage. One click and you can be approved. I'm not sure by who or what country they're in. You deserve more from the mortgage industry. At AnyMac Home Mortgage, we believe in the need for live, human interaction during a very complex process. The kind of service and guidance which an app simply can't provide. Our customers are more than credit scores and income documents. They're individuals and families who live in and strengthen our communities. Their story is our story, and that story begins in a home. Chris Sawyer is an expert on providing superior customer service and in meeting the mortgage needs of current and future home buyers. With over 18 years of experience in the industry, Chris is able to help customers migrate through the home buying and home financing process by using his wealth of knowledge as a well-qualified mortgage professional. And best of all, Chris is located in Cromwell, Connecticut, where he has helped hundreds of clients in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island make their dreams of homeownership a reality. Visit chrissawyer.annie-mac.com. Email him at csawyer at annie-mac.com or give him a call. 860-878-8730. Chris Sawyer, NMLS number 39345. Corporate NMLS number 338923. Home Mortgage is an equal housing lender. American Neighborhood Mortgage Acceptance Company, LLC. DBA, AnyMac Home Mortgage. Lo-Fi Direct. Connecticut First Mortgage Correspondent. License Lender Broker Number, ML 338923. Massachusetts Mortgage Lender and Mortgage Broker License Number, MC 338923. Rhode Island License Lender. License Number 20112810L. Call for additional details. 
All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to shift gears for a minute. I've been talking to the top brass of the Democratic Party here in Connecticut since uh, just after Christmas. Uh, Governor Ned Lamont was talking about putting in a middle class tax cut. And first, I talked to Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz, and I said, Lieutenant Governor, first of all, kudos on getting this state in a good financial spot because Connecticut's as financially secure as it's been. Uh, ever, uh, honestly, like, like, let's just be honest. We're in really good shape now. Mind you, we have eighty-eight million dollars in obligations. So those six point eight billion in the rainy day fund—that's cute, but it's not even <laughs> enough for what we actually need in the future. But it's, it's, it's being done. And I said to Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz, I, and they didn't run on this, Jimmy. They didn't run on, hey, if we win, we're going to cut. Uh, we're going to do a middle-class tax cut. It wasn't until after they won that Governor Lamont floated the idea of a middle-class tax cut, some $440 million in tax cuts. It would be the first major cut in state income tax rates in Connecticut history, uh, this $50 billion two-year budget. Again, uh, $440 million in middle-class tax cuts. Uh, for example, Jim, a couple earning one hundred ten thousand annually be charged three percent on the first twenty grand, five percent on the next eighty thousand, and five and a half on the final ten thousand. Um, this is a good thing for Connecticut. And and the question I asked Lieutenant Governor Vice, which same one I I ended up asking uh, both Matt Ritter and and Jason Rojas, I said, is it we just got it together in this state? Like, right, we're finally in a good sh – is is now the time for a massive tax cut? And, again, it's not like they're not running. There's no midterms coming up. Um, I think this is a great thing that, that they're doing. Uh, in talking to Matt Ritter especially, he seemed, Jim, like he just wanted to make sure that and, – and I think this is part of it – the state's pulling in more money right now than it's spending. And that's another first in the state. So things are going so well that we're going to be rewarded with a middle-class tax cut. You said to me on the phone a couple of hours ago, people are always complaining. And I think the issue is it's not often we're like, hey, say all the things you love about Connecticut. It's our price is too high. Yeah. Dude, I filled up today 337 a gallon. And you know what I thought, Jim? This is still higher than when Trump was president. Uh, over here. Would you pay? Two ninety nine. Oh no, no 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 no! I'm sorry, it went up. Three sixteen. Sorry, it was three sixteen. Okay. That's well, it's still a lot better than what I'm paying. But um, right, I remember when gas was up around five dollars a gallon four months ago. So we're making strides. We're we're getting there. And clearly, look, the Democrats feel like the state is in a good enough fiscal spot that we're we're going to probably see the largest tax cut in Connecticut history, something that Ned Lamont already claimed that he did uh, in the last election cycle, Jim. He said that he did that already, but he didn't. But it's not like, yeah, he didn't. This wasn't an election year gimmick. No, it was not. However, I do want to kind of Tarantino this back a little bit because I, I would like for your liberalness to recognize the fact that the Republican proposed budget in 2017 is what set us up for this surplus, which set us up because of the guardrails that were put in place by the Republicans, which were argued again, this budget to be good. 
in Lamont, I think, accepted a, a majority of them. I say a majority because not all there, Joe, because I don't know if you know this or not, but out of the $50.5 billion budget Lamont proposed, $80 million of it is borrowed. And you know what we borrowed that for? To pay off what we borrowed last year. So it's just gimmicks, right? We're paying, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're shifting money around. And the tax cuts that he's proposing are getting made up some other way, right? We're going to institute the highway use tax, right? The, the gas taxes are going to go up in, in, in May because it's contractually obligated, right? Yeah. So they're going to make up that millions of dollars other way. And I, for one, no, he didn't run on it. And now here's the thing that confuses me, though, Joe. Do I think it's a gimmick? Yeah. Bottom line, I think it's a gimmick, right? For what? Here's what did he thing. get out of it? Here's the thing. Why oh, would he? Yeah. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to actually come what back is, to your side. What, what does he get out of this? Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me because you can't rob Peter to pay Paul and think it's a good thing continually year after year, more and more. Right. Yeah, but we're, paying, but, we're, but we're paying down our debt obligations, saving billions of dollars over the next decade. Again, the, what he borrowed $80 million. Again, but we have $88 billion in obligations that we have to pay on, 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 on the debt going forward. All these teacher pensions and stuff, we're paying it down. And, and again, in paying it down, it saves the state billions of dollars in the long run. But again, it's a lot of money. But in the long run, we're screwing ourselves by keep borrowing and borrowing more. We're just kicking the can down the road. You have to borrow. You have to borrow. When you... You do. Well, I mean, you don't have to, but isn't that, isn't that really how this all works? No, this is how Connecticut works. We live in a country with a $13 trillion deficit. I mean, that's how it works. Uh, every country, every developed country on the planet operates in that manner and has massive debt. So okay, we're not, I'm just saying, Joe, all I'm saying is that when you have Democrats, I think as long Democrats as we're continuing calling it, to pay down, continuing to pay down our obligations. And again, we're taking in more money as a state than we're paying out. That's why we're turning these amazing surpluses that we're turning. I, I, listen, saying, I know, I know the I, last thing you want to do is say, good job, Ned Lamont. I know you don't want to do it, but I'm I saying. I have said you that. Should. You know what I have said? I'll tell you that. I'll, I've said this in the past. Hold on. There, Hold on there, chief. Settle down. I have said this in the past. Ned Lamont is not a, is not a Democrat. He no, ran not. as a Democrat to win. And he right. Dude, if Ron Stefanowski could have bought the Democratic nomination, he would have. You know what? I don't doubt that. And he would have won. He would have won, and Lamont would have been out. That It's as simple as that. Listen, I've been saying that uh, because I hear a lot of people like, he's such a liberal. Like, uh, he might say some liberal things here and there because he's a Democrat, and he has to. <laughs> as I said, listen, I, I remember uh, when they first brought up the tolls, uh, the first project my company, Clovercrest Media, ever had, I'm proud to say, was in creating an anti-toll video for the MTA, the Motor yeah. Transport Association in Connecticut. That was our first job. Um, I'm not a fan of tolls. And Ned Lamont had an opportunity to increase the highest tax bracket in Connecticut by a 0.1%. 
And the idea of tolls would have immediately been uh, unnecessary. And he didn't do that. And the reason he didn't do that is, is how is he going to go to the country club or the boathouse and explain to the boys that he's increased their taxes? Hey, sorry, guys. I know it's a couple extra million off of the top. Yeah. Not to mention, in the last election cycle, you had Ned, Ned Lamont wanting to just sit on this money and be fiscally responsible. And and you had not only Bob Stefanowski, but the independent Rob Hoytling. They had big plans for this money. And, we all and said that. It. I think we've all said that on the air. Very liberal. Very liberal. Them, that money. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah, that was crazy there in the state of Connecticut. How during that election, you were like, what in the it, it truly was, but I, I I'll say this. I am an anti Ned Lamont did a great good job with COVID, even though everybody seems to think he did. I, I I the numbers don't show that he did, right? But he does do a good job with the budget. I'll I'll give him that. I will say this. Um, I feel like he did the best he could with COVID. I think there were a lot of states that had real serious issues. New York being number one on my list uh, in mismanagement. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I, I think again, I don't. I didn't. I have never voted for Ned Lamont. Understand this. I'm not cast a vote for this guy. And I, I've told Susan Beisowitz on multiple occasions, I don't like him. There's just something about that dude that I, he does a good job. And now, mind you, and I, this is another thing I told her, and I'll tell you this because uh, I think you'll appreciate it. The idea of a businessman in an executive office, <laughs> I was like, oh, I've already seen two years of this. It's a disaster. There's no way. Uh, I didn't like Bob Stefanowski, and I didn't like Ned Lamont, two inexperienced businessmen. In an, literally, while Trump was unfolding, I was like, no, uh, so <laughs> I voted for Oz Griebel in that election. And then in this latest election, uh, I voted for Rob Hoytling. So, really? yeah, I'm I'm not a Ned Lamont guy. I would vote for Susan Beisowitz, uh in when she runs in the next election for governor, I think. What if Dennis uh, Claritis ran? I would be very interested. I, I, you know, listen. I love Themis Claritus. I, I, you know, what about Themis Claritus? Jim, I spent a lot of time with Leora Levy in the last election cycle. Yeah, uh, four in-depth interviews with her, and I'll say this: God bless that woman. She's got a good heart. Horrible messaging. Uh, very conservative and had no chance in Connecticut at all talking like she did. To me, Themis, Themis would have made it a race with Blumenthal. I, I have no doubt about that, okay? She can't run for governor because of her husband. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Butler. He's the CEO of, of Eversource. Mm, yes, yes. So it's that conflict of interest. That's what stopped her from running for that and Bob Stefanowski's money, that also held Themis back. Um, it's nice when you can loan yourself, your campaign, 10 million bucks. Yeah, sure thing. I got to tell you, uh, 10, 10 days before the election, I talked to Peter Lamage. Uh, Peter Lamage, and, and nobody will question my man, Peter Lamage. He's a, as conservative as you can be. 
as far as Connecticut people. And some people will tell you Peter Lamage is a little a little wacky. Um, I love the guy. Ten days before the election, you know what he told me? He told me Leora Levy had no chance. And I said, why do you say that? Because I knew. I mean, I just kind of wanted to see what he would say. And you know what he told me? He said, the first thing I would have done is distance myself from Donald Trump. That's the fr- Pete Lamage, who loves Donald Trump. That was that's the first thing I would have done is. Because he was playing the Connecticut specific, yeah. Yes. And again, Jim, this is my whole point. And, and you call me a liberal all the time. I just want to make clear I'm a registered Republican. I just want to make it also clear I'm I'm very disenfranchised with this party. This party is almost to the point of irrelevancy in Connecticut. Where this party we're like the Democrats in Texas. Remember when Beto lost by like 10,000 a few years ago to Ted Cruz yeah. and people were like, "Hey, that was pretty close." Are you out of your mind? (laughs) This election cycle, I mean, not only did Bob Stefanowski lose by four times the amount he lost the first time through. So clearly something is wrong here in, in what he was talking about. The Republicans were excited that George Logan gave Johanna Hayes a tight race. And it's like, are you guys celebrating almost winning? What are you, the Democrats? (laughs) <laughs> nice I'm saying like this and again I, I want people to instead of being like oh, Joe Joe loves the Democrats Joe loves the liberals I live in Connecticut I'm a smart guy I understand the, how the game works well, that's debatable. people are in charge and they are ruling the state and no, I, I agree wholeheartedly right and here's the thing and I and I, and I get to the I, I'm, I'm asking them what they're doing and what they're working on how they're gonna make people's lives better I think they're doing a good enough job I've said this to you before you talked to Ben proto what a month ago I talked to him half ago. Ben proto sounded like an insane person in your interview and I thought to myself Ben proto doesn't even know why. They got the floor got wiped in this state with Republicans. We just had sp- three special elections yesterday, all Democrats. We're gonna talk about that. Don't 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 spoil the I fun. Mean, it's, Jim, again, it's like the Republicans are getting hammered. You've got about uh, I, I think it's like ninety-seven to fifty-three is the split in our House. Uh, it, it's pretty wide in the Senate. You've got Democrats all across the board in the in the top constitutional positions. Didn't the Republicans lose seats this election cycle. Yes, yeah, uh, they lost a seat in Greenwich and they lost one in Southington. Right. And for anyone who doesn't know, those are Republican strongholds. Pretty red. So, Jim, my point is, is right. Like, it's like we're losing a lot here. And so- Ben Proto and you were talking about how disillusioned and fool. The people of Connecticut are, and my thought is, I think you guys are missing the point. Maybe you guys are the ones, and it's not everybody else. How about that? I am half willing to concede to that. You hate that, but again, and this is why I, I when when Republicans, I, get, I have conceded that. I'm, like, I'm trying to give you good advice so that this party is relevant again. And and I, you know, I don't in know. The state the of Connecticut, we've talked about this. Show. We talked about the in the state of Connecticut, the the funding for the Republican Party is nothing, right? 
And yeah. then you're going up against the man whose grandfather founded J.P. Morgan Chase, yep. right? Who can dump forty million dollars into an election to spread lies, to spread lies, truly, with zero integrity, and to people in the in the for some reason people in this state believed that instead of the words that came out of the uh, out of Bob Stefanowski's mouth. I don't know, man. $40 million buys an awful lot of votes. I'm not saying there was an election integrity or election fraud or anything like that. All I'm saying is that's a lot of advertising that, and I'm not bashing on that. The money he can afford to do it, he did it good on him. What I'm saying is there needs to be a frigging cap on that crap because we are pricing out great candidates. Ned Lamont did a lot of stuff and released a lot of statements like uh, Senator Blumenthal does from his official seat. And he's basically campaigning from his office. And that's, you're not supposed to do that. No. Uh, so Neville Mott certainly takes his liberties. And, I, and you know this too, Jim. I, you know, I, I said this on multiple occasions. The governor being on three, the incumbent governor yeah. in this last election was on three different party lines. And I thought, are you, I mean, you're, the, you're already the incumbent. Three lines? Really? I, I don't like that at all either. I, I think that's nonsense. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, I agree with you. You know, and, and I don't want to mess with elections. I, I don't, right? I, I've always said this and I'm consistent as gravity. I don't think there is rampant election fraud. I don't think I, I think our, our elections are fair and and reliable because I have to believe that in my heart of hearts. But I do believe that we need some campaign reform. Okay. We definitely need some kind of campaign reform where the richest guy wins because that doesn't help anybody that helps the richest guy that helps the richest guy's wife who opens a business in Tennessee because it sucks to open a business in the state that her husband represents, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I I told you earlier, uh, you know, Matt Corey uh, ran against Chris Murphy in 2018 for the uh, Senate seat. And, uh, Matt told me he had about six hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars in campaign funds, and Chris Murphy had twelve million dollars to spend. I mean, come on, the David and Goliath in this case, right? And Goliath listen, is going to win. You know, Matt Corey's a good dude, and he's a he's a really good Republican. He's and he is conservative. Don't get me wrong; just a really good guy, a real blue collar guy, no name recognition. And he did a better job than Linda McMahon did, despite all her name recognition and money. So it's high time the Republican Party and Ben Proto get behind candidates in this state and really give it a go. Start developing better candidates and and start again right now. Outside of of Aaron Stewart, I don't I don't know that there's any good gubernatorial candidates in the Republican Party. Like nobody jumps to mind for me right now, and I think that's got to be concerning because the Democrats have a whole bunch of people lined up right now. Oh, oh. <sighs> I mean, I think Susan Bysowitz, it, it, it's a lock to me four years from now that she wins. Really, I do. I think 
I think it depends on the state of the state of the state. I really sure. do. I think don't get me wrong, it definitely will. But as far yeah. as who's next, I think I think she sat on the sidelines, served as the lieutenant governor. Uh, you know, and I've told I've told Vicewitz this. She to me adds such a level of credibility to that guy. Mm. Okay. I, trust, I trust Susan Bicewitz. He's still shady to me, and he's he's a like a robot guy. I just hope that it doesn't turn to Republican because the Connecticut has gotten so bad that even the most staunch Democrats can't take it anymore. And we're like, all right, forget it. We got to try something new. I mean, now as a Republican, I would love that because Republicans are now in charge. However, the state would be so bad that it it'd be. It would just be game over for a lot of people, and I really just hope we don't come to that. I hope, I honestly hope that the electorate wisens up and stops, you know, going down this path of insanity where they keep voting the same people in for forty years and then expect life to get better here in the state of Connecticut. I, I mean, textbook insanity, and I just hope that it can change sometime soon. Joe, what do you think, buddy? Again, I would like to see things change. I would like to see things get competitive in this state. And I think the Republicans, I, I just, they got some work to do. Uh, uh, it's not its not that the people of Connecticut are all idiots. <laughs> no. That's all I'm trying to say. I I, I, I think that, and, and again, I heard Ben Proto more or less say, like, oh, we can't figure it out. And it's like, it's your policies. Right, what just the policy. There, there we go. Okay, I don't want to get. Yeah. We got a break coming up. He's in the lack of direction. We, we got a break coming people, up, right? And the policies don't know the what they stand for. The policies of the Republican Party are better policies. The problem with the Republican Party is that nobody knows about them. And I can prove it to you that they're better. You at the top of the show agreed with me that it was the Republican 2017, Republican 2017 budget that led us to this huge uh, 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 <laughs> surplus as well. Hold on, I'm not done. As well uh -huh. as the Republican fiscal guidelines that they installed in 2017 that just got extended by Governor Lamont, the Republican, and, and agreed upon by the, by the entire... Democrat freaking caucus. They're a smart guidelines. They are fiscally sound and they're Republican. And you even agreed to that. Now, the thing is, the Republican policies are, policies are better. Nobody knows about them. And that's what I started telling candidates. Nobody knows about your policies. Your policy right now on TV is Democrat bad. And that's not a policy. That's nothing. You're going right. to lose. Yes. So, is it better? Are, are the policies in the Democrat Party better and that's what makes them win? Absolutely not. 100% no. I'm going to tell you right now, right? That's what I firmly believe. But the messaging on the Democrat Party, man, they're freaking masters. Are you advising Ben Proto? Because if you are, masters. you guys are in bigger trouble than I thought. If I would advise anybody, I'd be like, hey, TikTok. <laughs> uh, what's the other one there? Instagram? Yeah. All right, I think we got to take a short break, and then when we come back, we are going to have a guest, Amy Bowden. Stick around. Do you want to start your own podcast or live stream show? At Clovercrest Media Group, we can help you create a show to run on CT Politics TV. From a concept to development and production, let the pros at CMG assist you in getting your voice heard. 
at CMG will also help you build your audience on social media as well as train on how to become a broadcast professional. To learn more or to set up a free consultation, visit us at clovercrestmedia.com. Welcome back to Divided We Stand with Jimmy and Joe. We are joined by our guest tonight from Take Back CT, the co-founder, if I'm not mistaken, Take Back CT, Amy Bowden. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? We are doing okay, I guess. I think <laughs> we're doing okay. I, we haven't uh, tried to kill each other verbally yet, so that's usually a good good start for us in our episodes because by this point we're usually trying to kill each other so yeah uh, I, I caught your uh the last little conversation about susan bicewitz and who do you think is going to be platformed next time and uh yes lamont is indeed campaigning from his office that's again i sometimes i can't keep his social media uh accounts straight because he's campaigning so hard from his seat of governance but as it goes in Connecticut, you know. Yeah, listen, I'll say this. Uh, you know, Jimmy Jimmy tries to paint me out as some, like, liberal Democratic lover. Uh, and, and, and I try to assure him I'm not. And, and my criticisms of the Republican Party are not an endorsement of the Democratic Party, you know. Uh, but they're right now, they're doing a lot better. And yeah. their, their message is resonating with Connecticut voters, particularly with independent women uh, and, and with young people. I mean, Republicans are getting hammered nationwide and in Connecticut with young people. And I think Jimmy and I have talked about this a lot, but one of those major issues is the transgender kids. Um, and there's... You know, I think that's, a, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that's one of the issues that, that you take up, right? You've talked about this, um, or in the Connecticut Alliance, you know, filed a lawsuit, and like there was, there weren't even enough transgender, like there was no case to make because there's no transgender athletes in Connecticut that are dominating a sport. And so it's like, wh why is that even an issue? It's an issue that young people, young voters don't, or they're not in support of that. Well, I would actually, I have to walk you back to your comment about there not being athletes in Connecticut that are being affected by transgender athletes, because we actually have um, some of the first uh, federal court cases right now in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York. They're actually hearing a case with athletes from Danbury, Glastonbury, and um, they're female athletes that were on track teams and um, they had to compete against transgender um, athletes that are, are biologically male and competing as females. And they actually uh, dominated so heavily that they wiped clean 17 records in that sport for women. So <laughs> I would hardly that doesn't have any of this affecting us. It's front and center. It was in the news about 10 days ago. Amy, don't we want to celebrate the, these female achievements? They're not really? female no. achievements. Well, I, no, they're biological male. They're biological male athletes that that are yeah. They're they're you know this is um, 
it's uncharted waters. So we have new things in this country that we have to litigate and we have to have go before our judicial courts. Everyone has to present their arguments in favor of or against these types of situations where transgenders believe that they have rights, but they are wholly infringing upon the rights of women and young girls um, and uh, young women that are in college and high school. And even now we're seeing it in middle school and junior high. It's really unfair. And those are those, you know, we have fought for years to have our own teams um, and our own, our own uh, playing fields, so to speak. And it's being taken away from us. It's, you know, we, we are being forced to compete in co-ed sports, essentially. And for individual sports like track and fields or for cross country or skiing or something where it is an individual sport where then they take the points that the individual athlete um, amasses during the meet and they combine it for a team total. It is essentially individualized sports, some of these sports where you're competing against your best score or another single athlete's best score. And when you have to compete against males, we just statistically, and, and I love to get into the math and the science behind this, because statistics is a mathematical science, but liberals choose to ignore the science even when the science is telling a story, and it doesn't, con con you know, it conflicts with what they believe to be the case. And statistically speaking, these athletes are, you know, hurting females from achieving the highest level of, of accolades in competition, which is discrimination. You know, I, I, uh, I've been arguing that point for, uh, with Joe for a while now. I actually <laughs> haven't. I, I actually, I'm not going to take credit for what you right. said. I won't do it. If no. I may, if I may, you know, I said to Jimmy, uh, and we were talking actually earlier today, and I said, to, look, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Right. And I don't, don't know what the answer is. I just, would you agree with this? Uh, you know, Bob Stefanowski uh, seemed to show support for, acknowledge, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever your biological birth, you know, at birth gender is, that's the sport you would compete in, right? He sort of embraced that. And up to up to, um, up to the end of elementary school. Okay, okay, interesting. That's an interesting. Well, because it's prepubescent. Like as soon as a male athlete hits puberty and isn't on puberty blockers and isn't uh -huh. in the process of transitioning or blocked their them becoming an adult male, they actually, you know, that that is something that we can't biologically compete with. We, we actually have hormones working against us at that age. Like girls start getting their periods. They have cramps. We have to compete when we're bleeding. Show me a guy that has to do that. Kurt Schilling. <laughs> Sorry. 2004. Oh, stop it, Kurt Schilling. <laughs> <laughs> the bloody sock. Uh, again, listen, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, is it is it fair then to take these transgender male athletes, some who are taking hormones, uh, you know, uh, to, to be more feminine, um, are, aren't they then working at a disadvantage against actual biological males? That's their choice. 
That's All the right. choice. Again, they have a choice. We don't have a choice. We're forced well, to compete with them. I gotcha. But do you want, do you see where, like, you know, I remember uh, before the election, Bob Stefanowski brought Glenn Youngkin here from West Virginia. Oh, and wow. that, that same week that Glenn Youngkin came up to support Bob Stefanowski, uh, half the students in his state walked out because of his policies against transgender students. So let's throw, throw that out the window for a minute. Right? Well, you can't because they're not voting age. But but they are. They <laughs> so are, they can walk and, out and it doesn't bother me. But they are. I mean, I, I'll say this. I, I can't tell you, and I and I for two years after Parkland, I was like, you guys, it's this is gonna be a this is not gonna go well for the Republicans in two years. All of those kids are turning 18. All of today's 16 and 17-year-olds who don't like these policies will be 18 soon enough. And you're setting these kids up to me. Just go vote Democrat then. Um, I, you know, again, if we're talking about people that are under the age of 18 and they're walking out of high school, they're not constituents yet. They're, they might be in two years, but they, they might also in two years or three years or four years know somebody who wants to detransition, or they might know somebody that was told that they should probably go this route in life because they tend to emulate feminism or display characteristics of per seemingly wanting to transition and they they transition and then they don't want to uh, stay the opposite gender. They want to go back. Some of them are going to go through chemical castration. This is actually happening. There are minor children that are being chemically castrated by adults. That is like Nuremberg stuff. Someday these children are going to have their day in court. There will, peep, there will be adults that sue the government and sue the doctors and sue the people that did this to them. Joy, they are, they need to be 18 to be able to make the decision legally to do these things to their body. If you took a pair of scissors and cut someone's penis off, you get arrested. But if you give them a pill, you're not. You're you're touted as like somebody who's saving lives and and forging a path and pioneering into an uncharted territory for trans kids all across America. It's like, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't work out for some of these kids? Anybody that participates can't say, well, you were old enough and it was your choice. That's They're right. experimenting yeah. on them. Several episodes, actually, statistics about uh, transgenders and how they, even after they transition, the suicidality rate for transgenders are still higher than any other category recorded right now. So the, the transitioning is proving to be not the answer, right? It's, it's obviously not the answer if the suicide rate is still that high. So why, and again, Joe and I were talking about this off before we the show, you know, we all grew up in an age where tomboys were tomboys. You didn't think anything else other than they are, oh, she's just a tomboy. She'll eventually grow out of it. She'll start they, wearing a dress. In, the, in what, 99.999% do? Right. And sometimes it's just a personality trait, too, and you don't grow out of it. I mean, I played college sports all the way through my senior year in college, and I played with a lot of brute women, and they were straight, and some of them were not. Some of them were gay, but they had 
a total spectrum of feminism and femi feminist qualities and masculine qualities. And, but this concept of cutting off your body parts and, and chemically castrating your body and, and destroying your body before you have even lived so many years on this earth that you know what to do with it, um, you're gonna live more of your life as the other gender than you will as the gender you were born by. And you're not even, your brain isn't even mature enough to understand and conceptualize if what you're doing is in line with where you wanna end up in life. It could be a phase, that's what I'm saying. You know, For a lot of these kids, it's a phase, just like being a tomboy or you know, whatever. So Amy, you're gonna like this. Um, I, I was reading a study where uh, 3% of baby boomers identify as transgender. It's about 6% of Gen X. And then you get to millennials and it's 23%. And I'm a, I'm a facts and numbers science kind of guy. That doesn't seem right to me. And that was for transgender or for LBGTQ, whatever, plus, minus, question mark? No, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy uh, J likes that one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah the, the, uh, the alphabet. The alphabet The alphabet soup, soup yeah. It so no, listen, I, I listen, I, I, I don't completely disagree with you. You know, I have a family member who is transitioning currently, and you know, we try to be supportive, uh, as supportive as we can because that's what you do for your family. I don't pretend to understand it or know enough about it. You know, I, I, and I say this to Jimmy all the time. It's a controversial topic for a reason. I just, yeah. me, I just think it's such a delicate situation. I just think if the Democrats played this a little more conservatively, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe a little more liberally, a little more compassion towards like, hey, listen, we understand, you know, you're in a weird spot. There's nothing worse than being uncomfortable in your own skin, but we need to define this. We need to figure this out, you know, and, and that it's not so much because it seems like, and I hear this from young people a lot. I got four kids. Uh, it seems like transgender kids are always on the attack or being attacked and their friends see them as vulnerable people. And they don't like that. Again, I just think going into the future, as far as where people's politics are, it's not a great look for Republicans to seemingly be going after these kids. Um, we're not going after the kids. I think that's the big thing that um, we're actually trying to protect them because while some, you know, doctors and psychologists and whoever else is saying that this is the route to go with, you know, medication and hormone therapy, chemical castration and all of that sort of stuff, we're saying that any of these things that you want to do or become, um, or identify with as an adult is the we live in the land of the free. That's the beauty of our country is you have that liberty and you have that freedom to do that. But what I'm not okay with is that is adults not protecting a child and raising them and the culture and the society and the doctors and the scientists and everyone saying, no matter what this child decides to become, 
they make that decision for themselves at 18. Prior to that, we have to protect their body. We have to protect their personhood. We have to protect their choices and let them grow in love, like you said, to whomever they want to be. But let them come into adulthood with all of their body parts and all of their hormones and everything that they need to be able to decide what to do next as an adult. If we make the mistake or the child makes a decision that they're not capable of making at a young age, like nine or 10, and they make the wrong one, like I said, they're going to live out the rest of their life under the wrong decision. They will live more of their years and uh, of their life as the opposite gender. And what happens to the people that it didn't solve their problem or it made it worse? Suicide, right. depression, more dysphoria, dysmorphia, more concurrent uh, mental health issues. So that's why you're seeing sometimes a compounding effect because um, whether or not we can agree, you and I, or me and a scientist, but uh, for generations and decades, these conditions have been labeled a dysmorphia, where the human mind perceives itself different from the actual mole molecular and anatomical makeup of your body. You perceive yourself to be like, be, be like me waking up every day and saying, I'm a man. What, it doesn't matter what anyone says, I'm a man. Just because I say I'm a man doesn't mean I'm a man. And, you know, the dysmorphia, if you try to switch to something you can never become, by the way, it doesn't matter how much lipstick, how many dresses, how many castrations, castrate your, your genitals, your breasts, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what you go through. You're genetically still a male or a female. You still have um, certain you know, qualities to your, to your personhood that can never be undone. And so how do you, how do you account for that? How do you, you know, you can never, there's not enough medications on the planet to make you go from being a biological male to a biological female, at least not yet. I mean, when men start growing ovaries and things, then maybe I'll have to redact some of this in like 50 years. But I mean, um, we're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah I mean, you know, it's and I think ultimately, I, do, I mean, isn't that probably where this technology is going to go to where they're going to try to. I mean, I think that I think that's the end goal is that there's an intersexed culture yeah. and that people are born with one gender, but then they choose it and there's pills, medications, you know, jabs and gels and creams and whatever to help create a whole new personhood. And I'm a conservative, so I stand on the Bible and I stand on my faith. And I believe that there's two genders, a man and a woman. I understand that there's um, people that are born into the world that have, um, you know, two sets of, of genitalia and there's uh, anomalies to that sort of, um, you know, accounting of what I think of gender. But for the most part, there's man and there's, you know, there's, there's male and female. Uh, and um, you can't reverse or undo that. It just, I mean, I don't know why you why to, but... We are running short on time. I didn't really want to drag you into this uh, 
two-year battle of transgender between <laughs> Joe and I. I actually wanted to talk to you about some Senate bills and what's going on. But Joe, you know, <laughs> the topic is just so well, you have to go and you have to go. Yeah, I mean, you got to go look at that Second Circuit Court of Appeals case. It's it's um, they've moved it forward, which was a huge win for the girls. I think it's a it's a case to follow. Um, it's so close in New York, so I might want to go into Manhattan one day if I can and be a part of some of that. Um, I know the parents of the girls that are involved because the mothers are also named in the lawsuit. And so it's the mothers and their daughters that have filed suit. And um, actually, I was talking to you, Jimmy, about getting that uh, the woman on as a, as a guest to some of your yeah. shows. Yeah, to some of the shows that you know you're a part of, like this one. And I think that Girl, their story yeah. is is a, you know we are on the on the verge of first of its kind um, constitutional law history in our country. These are pivotal cases. So um, I think we should all be following it. And I think that it's definitely a topic worth revisiting you know, as we follow this case. Yeah, uh, Amy, uh, I'd love to talk to you more about it as, as, the, uh, as the court case unfolds. And, and we definitely want to have you back. I know your uh, Take Back Connecticut is, is involved in a lot more issues. And so I'd love to be able to get into into more of those. Now that I've pinned you down on your feelings about transgender people, I, um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I look forward to back and, and talking more about, about this and, and other topics. And I, I really appreciate your time. And even though you and I don't necessarily, agree, well, we don't agree at all, uh, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about it. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy Borden. So I don't want people to think that I had to have mommy come fight my battles for me, all right? Because I didn't. I have had statistics and blah. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, that was great. Amy, Amy Borden is a, a wealth of knowledge. You should definitely go check her out on the Facebook group, C, uh, Take Back CT. All right? Go check. She's got uh, – it's just a, a, a treasure trove of information out there. And it's not all uh, uh, yeah. conservative – talking points though i'm sure most of it is she's a delight and and listen you know look we we have differences of opinion and like i said look i don't know the answer and i i don't pretend to know the answer um and you know she did bring up the bible and religion and again i i i, I just i i think those things always end up there's some crossover there i whenever you and i talk about transgenders i try to keep religion out yeah. of it well, because that's, that's the whole thing. It's like, right? It's like, uh, I, 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 you, you can't ignore that. That that's a factor. That it seems like most people who are anti-gay or anti-transgender uh, also happen to be people who are religion, are religious, and 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 really hold that stuff uh, very dear. And that's where they draw their values from. I, I, I understand it. I don't agree with it. I think. I mean, like, I, I. I know Amy, and I know how uh, accepting she is of transgender people, okay? And she, like myself, I am, are very respectful in the, in the person's wishes. We address them. I mean, look, I have gone as far as called a, calling a, uh, a transgendered woman 
who is twice my size, honey. <laughs> yeah, because now, I mean, she presents herself as a female, right? And so you thought that's a good time to be sexist, right? You know, but it's not sexist when I'm doing it, you know, endearingly. <laughs> but no, I mean, look at, but her chromosomes are still male, and she knows I feel this way, and she's like, yeah, I know it's okay because you respect me enough to. And you have enough respect to address me as I want. And I am going to respect you enough to respect your beliefs as well. And that's the kind of mutual relationship and understanding that people need to have. Right? Yeah. If everybody could do that. Holy crap, Joe. But it always seems like we say, look, you know, and I'll give you a perfect example real quick here. Ben Shapiro, right? Who I haven't, you know, but we've all remembered that episode where he was, that he was on the episode there with the uh, transgender female and he said something and she got really offended. Well, hold on a second. I, 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 the whole episode, I've been calling you her. I've been calling you she, but I tell you that I don't believe this. And now all of a sudden I'm a jerk. I respected you. You can't respect me. So who's the real jerk here? And that's all I've been saying, right? Just be respectful to one another. Now, I know for a fact that Amy is. She's extremely respectful to uh, people's decisions and what they want to do because I've seen her in these situations. And I know that Amy and a lot of people like her, including myself, feel that it doesn't belong in our children's lives, period. Now, if you really want to get technical, you're not an adult and you're not full mature age mentally until you're the age of 25. So even 18 for me is a little young, but... You know, that's for a different discussion. <clears throat> so uh, I had all the things I wanted to talk about tonight, Joe, the diversity and hiring bills and stuff like that. But you got us back on the transgender. And thank God Amy Borden was here to save you because I was going to go off. No, just. <laughs> Listen, uh, I don't know Amy at all. Um, and and uh, I, I mean, that could have easily gone off the rails, she and I. Right, that could have, uh, but no. I, looks, I, I'm always, I'm always down for conversation. Like I said, I don't pretend I have all the answers. I wish I did. I would tell everybody what they are. That would really be helpful. But you know, I, I, we, we can talk about things and, uh, you know, figure out what's what and why, why. You know, and there we go. And that's why a show like this exists, and that's why we're going to keep doing this show, right, bud? So. Yeah. Speaking of doing it, we're going to have to do it again next week because we are out of time right now. So thank you very much for watching Divided We Stand, everybody. For Joe Aguirre, I am Jim Batiste saying good night and God bless.